Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. Look, Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be a couple places of scripture this morning. We'll be in Matthew chapter 7. And then we're going to turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 23. I just want to personally say happy Father's Day to all the dads that are with us today. God bless you. I pray that today is a special day for you. I want to read this passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 7 and beginning in verse 11, and, uh, and then we'll get right into the word this morning, and uh, we pray that today will be a wonderful day of celebration with you and your family. Beginning in verse 11, the Bible says, if you then, being evil, knowing how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? How many know that's a great verse? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? You know, I read something the past couple of weeks on uh, how we view our fathers. It said that eight years old, my dad is really, an eight-year-old thinks my dad is really smart. At 12, year old, at 12 years old, my dad probably doesn't know that. At 16 years old, my dad is absolutely clueless. At 21 years old, my dad is out of touch. At 30, I like to find out what my dad thinks about this. At 40, at 40, uh, I would love to get dad's opinion on this before we make a decision. At 50 years old, I wish I could ask my dad about that. He's pretty smart. At 60, my dad knew absolutely everything. And at 70, I'd give anything to talk to my dad again. You know, many of you, Father's Day is a hard day to preach. I know for me as a pastor. Uh, Maybe it's a personal thing. Um, You know, uh, my dad died 12 years ago, 2008, and uh, and I miss him dearly. I miss him every day. And uh, Father's Day is a hard day to preach because I look out into this congregation and I see so many good fathers and see so many good dads. And I think to myself, how in the world I, I'm up here preaching on Father's Day when there's so many other dads out there that do it so much better than what I do. But as we look at this passage of Scripture and we begin to think about Father's Day, and we think about uh, this, this day. For some, this is not always a joyous day. There are some people here uh, that, that to some of them, they really didn't have a great father in their life or had a father that really didn't parent them or that they really didn't know. Sometimes days like this can stir emotions because there, there may be those that have memories that make a day like this very difficult. Maybe you had a father who didn't say all the time that he loved you or that he was proud of you or that was not always there for important moments in your life. But I can say this, those were tough moments and those are tough moments in life when we really don't know or know how to experience a father's love or a father's uh, affirmation in our life. Every one of us has faced tough moments in our life, and many of us know the importance of what a father's place in the home really is. 
If there's ever a day there needs to be fathers that are strong, today's the day for dads to be strong. If there ever needs to be a revival among men, today's the day that that revival needs to begin. We live in a fatherless generation. I'm going to show that to you in a minute and how that we can compare this day to a day that Israel walked through also. But as a pastor, as I've sat down with families and I've sat down even with fathers and families who have, who have in my ministry, I found people who have faced such difficulties with their natural father that it has somewhat distorted their view of their heavenly father. And I'm here to encourage you this morning, regardless of how your father was, you have a heavenly father this morning that is far greater than what you could ever imagine. And my prayer for you this morning is that you never be distorted by your view of your heavenly father and who he is. Because he's far greater than what you could ever imagine. And sometimes as a pastor I have to sit and unwind and untangle those relationships that are with family and with fathers that have become entangled or have become estranged and and have to work them out. But I want to say this this morning so that we're on the same page that I want you to know that every father is flawed. Every dad uh, is flawed. I mean, we all have our mistakes. We all have our things about us that allow us to be, at times, we all have weaknesses in life, and we, we uh, uh, at times struggle to do things. But the good thing is, if we are always connected to the Heavenly Father, that whatever's been lacking in our own Father, God will always make up in our lives. But as we know, many of us have had good fathers, great fathers. My dad was a good father. He wasn't a spiritual man, but my dad was a great provider. My dad supported everything I did in life. And my dad had many struggles. He, had, he struggled with a lot of things. But he always loved me. I knew that. He had trouble expressing that. He was not a hugger. He was not one that talked a whole lot, but by his presence, sometimes you knew that he brought affirmation to my life because I would look up and see him at the stands of a ball game or see him when I first began preaching, to see him uh, in the crowd or in the, uh, wherever I was preaching. He would be there and he wouldn't say much and he wouldn't, there wasn't much that was always said, but I knew by his presence that there was a comfort that came over my life just in the fact of knowing him. The passage I read to you here in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 11, it says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask of him? Now, a lot of times when we read a word in the English, it, stopped, it jumps out of us, and we read that word there. It says, knowing how, those, if you then, being evil, that's a strong word. That Jesus is using. Because most fathers say, well, I don't think I'm evil, (laughs) right? I mean, we don't look at it that way. But the word is interesting because the word in the Greek doesn't mean evil as in wicked or to harm or or to do something that is demonic. The word here in the Greek means to be uh, degenerated or to have loss of virtue or to be diseased or to be uh, full of peril. And so we, as in our creation, after Adam, 
We are diseased. We have a sin nature in us. We have a sin nature. We have uh, a virtue that uh, we don't always have the godly virtue that is that, that Adam had. And at times we were uh, this place. So it's not necessarily that we are evil, but we have a sin nature. And Jesus is saying, those of you that have a sin nature, that have flaws, that have, that have degeneracy in your life, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your Father in heaven know how to bless you or to touch you or to minister to your needs? Because I believe every father in here wants the best for his children. Every father wants to do good for his children and do what they can for his children. But even us even being in a state, a sin nature, a damnic fallen nature, even if we have a desire to do good things for our children, think the magnitude of how God feels about you this morning as your heavenly father. That's a powerful phrase this morning. It's a powerful thing to think about. And sometimes in relationships with our father, sometimes there are, there are challenges, and, and even in those challenges, and what happens is what the enemy tries to do is he tries to bring separation between you, not only you and your natural father, but the enemy wants to bring separation between you and your heavenly father. And he does that through trying to distort who your heavenly father is. He does that by bringing uh, 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 events through your life, seasons in your life that are difficult so that to cause separation, not only does he do that with our natural families, but he does that in the way that he gets you to try to be in your perspective toward God. In other words, but here's what we can't do. Anytime we go through a difficult season or we go through a time that tries to separate us from our heavenly father or separate us from our natural fathers, we have to understand a couple of things. Number one, we can't let it define us. We can't let it define us. You cannot let a trial define who you are. You cannot let a trial give you an identity that God has not wanted to give you. And two, you cannot let it destroy you. You cannot let every trial be a hurdle for the rest of your life. I've known people that have struggled to get through and step into a life of victory because an event in their life became a hurdle that they could not get through. But I'm here to tell you, you have a heavenly father that, wants to, that loves you and wants to strengthen you and that there's a heavenly father that will take every trial, every difficulty, everything the enemy has tried to use to separate you from your heavenly father, God will take it and make it a strength in your life. He'll reverse it for your good instead of it being a hurdle for your life. Yesterday I went golfing for the first time in like four years. And uh, I went golfing with my son and, and he beat me. The only thing he can beat me in, but uh, he beat me, and, and usually Father's Day weekend, isn't that the week of the U.S. Open, isn't that the week that the U.S. Open is played? I like watching golf on TV. I'm not good at playing it, but I like watching golf on TV. But uh, I often thought to myself, have you ever wondered why those golf balls have dimples? 
I thought about that yesterday. I thought, why do golf balls have, have dimples? But I thank God for Google because you can Google and find out why golf balls have dimples. When golf was first invented, the golf balls were really just plain. There was no dimples in them. And they were uh, uh, just plain like a ping pong ball and that they would play golf with. But once they would hit that ball a few times, it would dent. It would be scuffed a little bit and dent. And what they found out was that a golf ball that was dented and a golf ball that had been dented and hit many times would go further than a golf ball that hadn't. And so they put dimples in the, in the golf balls and dents into the golf balls because they learned that if dents, if and dimples were in a golf ball, it's what allows the golf ball to go further than what it normally could do. And I, I thought to myself, isn't it amazing that sometimes our lives become dented? We get dented in our lives. There's the dimples of life. You're like a golf ball sometimes. Many of us, we have the dimples and the dents of life, but I'm here to tell you that you would, in the natural, you would think that those dents and those dimples of life would keep you from going someplace, but the truth is, those dimples and dents help you go further than you would have gone had you not experienced them. It allow you to go further and faster. Even if you're here today, God will take those moments, those dent moments in your life, and he will turn them around and allow them to be something that God uses to allow you to go further than you have ever been in your life. And I'm here to tell you, you have a heavenly father that won't let the dents of life and the dimples of life not define you, nor will he let them destroy you, but God is going to turn them around and let them strengthen you so that you could go further than you've ever been, go faster than you've ever been, than you've ever had before. In other words, the truth is this morning, there are certain things that our Heavenly Father can do for us that only He can do, that only He can provide. In other words, some people find their identity in their failure. I was fatherless, so I must be fatherless. I was never told I love you, so I'll never learn to say that. God has a purpose for you. And as I read in Psalms 139, it tells us that God uh, is our Father in heaven, and even from the beginning, he's planned out our lives. If you would, turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 23, and I want to read a passage of scripture this here, and I want to use this passage this morning to talk and show you how our Heavenly Father, how our Heavenly Father responds to us. Now, Deuteronomy, the word Deuteronomy means second law, and uh, it's, it's to remind you of the, how our Heavenly Father provides for us and how He is there for us and that our perspective on who He is can always remain the same. Deuteronomy chapter 23 and beginning in verse 3, it says, And the Amorites and Moabites shall not enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever. Verse 4, Because they did not meet you with bread and water on the road when, when you came out of Egypt, and because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Bor, Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. Nevertheless, nevertheless, say nevertheless, the Lord your God will not listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned the curse 
into a blessing for you, the curse into a blessing for you, because the Lord your God loves you. How many know the curse of mankind is a sin nature? And God will turn the curse that's against you, he will turn it into a blessing for you. And why does God do that? Because God loves you. Hallelujah. He's a heavenly father that loves you. He's a God that reverses the curse in mankind and he reverses it to your favor. Why does he do it? Because he is a God that loves you and he is a God that will watch over you. You have a great heavenly father this morning. I said you have a great heavenly father this morning. Verse 3 tells us, it's interesting. It said when you go through tough seasons, in other words, the children of Israel came out of Egypt and the Amorites and the Moabites would not, had opportunity to bless them and they would not do it. They had opportunity to bring blessing to them and they would not do it. They even hired one of their own and Balaam to prophesy and curse over them and to prophesy against them so that they would not make it. But then verse 4 tells us, because they did that, because they did that when they came out of Egypt, because they cursed them, because they would not bless them, because they meant evil for good, because they tried to stop them, verse 5, God goes in and says, nevertheless, nevertheless, how many are thankful for the nevertheless of your life? The Satan attacked you. Satan tried to steal from you. Satan took your father too early. Satan allowed your father to be missing or not there. Satan allowed to take from you, but nevertheless this morning, nevertheless of the the flaws that may be in your father's life, and we all have them, and there's many good dads and there's many good things, but we can't always meet the needs of our children. There are some needs only God can meet. And there's some dents in life, there's some trials in life that come along that I as a father and you as a father, that we can't fix everything in their life. We can't do it all, but we know someone, nevertheless, who will step up and meet the needs of their life. So as a dad this morning, don't feel the pressure that you have to meet every need that they have. There are some dents and some trials and some things they need to go through. Why? Because God wants to teach them how to put their dependency upon him and not just you. Are you all hearing me this morning? Nevertheless, regardless, God turned the curse into a blessing, your God, because he loves you. The word curse there means to disqualify you or to vile or to make vile or to be of little uh, or to be of, of little account. In other words, it means that the curse is to disqualify your life to be in a use of God or to, or to make little account of who you are. The curse there means that falling short, never measuring up, Never, never feeling that you meet the, the, the standards of who God is. I'm here to tell you, God is not just asking you just to meet a list of rules and regulations of standards. God is wanting to take the curse and make it a blessing in your life, not because he wants to control you, but he wants you to know that he loves you regardless of where you are, who you are, or how you are, or even what you've done. 
He's a God that loves you. He's a God that cares for you. And so the Amorites came against them. And so he's going to turn the curse into blessing. Well, there's several ways that he does that. I'm going to give you a couple of them. Number one, in tough times, in times when we're dented in life, in times when we walk through the struggles of life, sometimes the roles of our fathers can't meet ever our needs. But you have to know this about your heavenly father. Number one, in tough times, he directs you in your life. He puts you on the right path. In other words, the problems that we have, God uses in us to make a to make a direct to bring us to a place of change. Sometimes the tough times redirect us and put us on the right path so that there may be change. God the heavenly Father will always direct you. He will always lead you to the right paths. He will always push on your life so that the right change needs to be made in your life. Some struggles is not to harm you, but to change you. How many are thankful that you got a loving father that does not leave us like we are, but he moves us to greater places and he directs our lives. And sometimes he does that through the dents of life and through the challenges of life so that we could go further and faster. Psalms 20 and 30 says this. I like what it says in the message. It says, sometimes it takes a painful situation to make us change our way. Right? Has anybody ever grown from a painful situation? Anybody God ever ministered to you or brought you through something? And on the other side, there was everybody around you couldn't help you, but only God could have helped you. Anybody got a testimony this morning where man fell short, but God was able to meet the need of your life? How many know that's a heavenly father? How many know that's a good father? How many know that's a father that takes a curse and makes it a blessing? Number two, he uses tough times to inspect us. God will use difficult times to look and see what's inside of us, what's inside of you. Let us know, in other words, to let you know what you're really made of. (laughs) God will use a trial so you can see who you really are, so that you can see what's really in you. We're like tea bags. Put us in hot water and you'll find out exactly what's on the inside. Is that not right? How many know sometimes a trial will reveal things about you that nothing else will? And a lot of times we can say we're this and say we're that and say we're that, but until we walk through something that God uses to inspect us, we realize that maybe what's in us is not what we thought was in us. Something maybe a natural father couldn't do. Our heavenly father has the ability to inspect our lives and has the ability that he cares enough and loves us enough that he would inspect the thing on the inside of us. Number three, God uses tough times to correct our lives. Now, one of the words in the scripture for correct, we all know correct means, really kind of means the change course is what one of the words, but there's an interesting word in the Greek and it means this, it's, it's, a, it's a word that really means to bring appreciation. Isn't it amazing? In other words, to bring attention to appreciation. In other words, one of the reasons that God the Father corrects us so that we learn to appreciate the things that are important. Sometimes when we're off track, In life, the trial or the dents of life 
helps us return back to focus and appreciate what's important in life. Sometimes we need a trial to wake us up to realize our marriage is important. Sometimes we need a trial to wake up that God cares about our finance. God cares about our personal life. God cares about the small things in our life. And so when God corrects us, it's not to destroy us or to hurt us, but it's to bring a level of appreciation and to value something that we have lost value for. How many are thankful for the correction of God that he redirects your life? He recorrects your life so that you can begin to appreciate something that maybe you had taken advantage of before. He's God the Father. Number four, to protect you. God uses tough times to bring protection in our life. Why? Now, why does God have a right and why does God take protection so seriously? The reason he takes it so seriously is because God knows your future and you don't. And what you think God has stolen from you and taken from you may be something that God has protected you from. Oh, man, see, right? God removes that boyfriend in your life, and you go to crying to God. He doesn't love you. And then five years later on Facebook, you go, whoa, hey, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Huh? How many know God protects you because God knows your future? God knows what's you're headed your way. God knows how to prepare you. He protects you because he knows what's best for you. He knows what your future holds, and he knows that he wants to hold your future. Number five, God uses tough times, the dents of our life as a father, to mature us. How many know God wants mature men and women of God? In other words, he cares more about your character than your comfort. He will make you uncomfortable in order to make you mature in God. See, all these things together brings a heavenly father. All these things together makes God turn the curse into a blessing. All these things together makes God turn that which the enemy has dented you with and turn them to his goodness. And only those who walk with Jesus can have uh, can, can have a bad situation happen and still better them. Isn't that a testimony? That those who walk with God can have bad things happen to them and we're the only people that because bad things happen to us, God can turn them around and what was meant to destroy and to be a curse, now God will make a blessing out of our lives. Only God. The great Puritan, Puritan William Gentke, says this, As the wicked are hurt by the best things, so the godly are bettered by the worst. So the godly are bettered by the worst. And so I brought you all the way through this to give you two things in closing this morning. Two things. Number one, I want you to remember this. Number one, when it is bad, your heavenly father still loves you. When things are bad, your heavenly father still loves you. When the dent comes and curses. See, here, here's, a, here's a statement I want you to remember. Unless you know who you are, you will always be vulnerable to what people say. Unless you know who you are in Christ, you will always be vulnerable to what others think of you. 
or say of you. So you have to know what your heavenly father thinks of you. And regardless of how things are bad, things can get in your life, you must understand that no matter how bad they get, you have a father that still loves you regardless of what is happening in your life. In other words, unless you know who, who your love comes from, unless you know you're loved, you're vulnerable to someone else's labeling. Some of you, life has tried to label you. Life has tried to put a label on you. Life has tried to make you live out a a thing in your life that's not you. It was just an event in your life. And it's because you lost the sight that your heavenly father loves you. Don't let someone who doesn't know you, know your value, tell you how much you're worth. Don't let someone who doesn't have a relationship with you or know you tell you what you're worth. In this moment, when when things are bad, we we can't doubt God. I think of in John chapter 11, when you remember when, when when Lazarus died and Mary and Martha sent for Jesus, and Lazarus was in the tomb, and they sent for Jesus, and the Bible said, tells us in John chapter 11, it says, And Lazarus, Martha, and Mary were people whom Jesus loved. He loved them. But did did the Bible say that when he heard the news, he got up and ran to Lazarus' tomb? Does it say he, he, he immediately went to Martha and them? No, that's not what the Bible says. Matter of fact, it's interesting. It's an interesting thing. See, here's what happens is sometimes we give a misdefining, we misdefine who God is because God doesn't react to what's going on in our life the way we want him to react. And he can easily, we can easily skew who he really is by feeling that God hasn't responded to us the way we've wanted God to respond. Mary and Martha waited two days for Jesus to get there. They waited two days for Jesus to get there, and they could have fell into the place to where they say, well, Jesus doesn't love us. Jesus doesn't care about us. Jesus doesn't doesn't care about anything about us, and he waited two days. He was 15 miles away. The situation was bad, but regardless of how bad the situation is, God still loves us, but we have to understand this. God's plan is always bigger than what we think God's plan is. And Martha was wanting Lazarus to be healed so that her family could rejoice. But Jesus waited till he died so that he could resurrect him from the dead so that many could believe on Jesus. His delay had nothing to do with his love for Martha and Lazarus. It had everything to do with the big picture of who God the Father is. And we must understand that no matter how bad things get, our God is still in control. And we've got to say, God's still at the top. And don't lose your doubt. Don't lose your trust in him. Because he's always wanting to take the dents of our life and the curse and turn it into a blessing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If he had healed Lazarus, Martha and Mary would have rejoiced. But because he came forth and said many saw it and believed on Jesus, 
Hallelujah. Thank God that God uses our testimony, that God shows up not right on our time, but right on time. <laughs> How many of y'all know that? How many know? See, God's time and our time are totally two different things. And sometimes he'll show up on your time. But a lot of times the reason God shows up on his time is because God has a bigger picture. And he's a heavenly father. But know how bad things get, you still have a heavenly father who loves you and cares for you. Hallelujah. And number two, Adam, you'll come. The second thing that I want to leave with you is that when men withhold when men withhold your heavenly father shows up to provide when men withhold your heavenly father shows up to provide when the natural man can't do it god can god can take the curse and turn it into a blessing what did they withhold from Israel in Deuteronomy 23 they with the Amorites and the Moabites what they withhold they withheld food they withheld water. Is that not right? They would not feed them. They withheld water from them. And they would not. They had an opportunity to be a blessing, but all they wanted to do was curse. And there's a reason for that in just a minute. But how many know that while they were in the wilderness, God brought them manna out of heaven? He brought quail out of heaven. How many know that while they were in the wilderness, God brought water from a rock? God took bitters waters and made them sweet. How many know that when man falls short, God always shows up and provides for us in miracle situations, even when men fall short? You've got to know that this morning. You've got to know that when men withhold from you, God provides for you. Your trust is in him. He's a heavenly father that cares for you this morning. He's a heavenly father that will meet your need. And when your heavenly father sometimes can't do everything for you, I'm telling you that your God will show up for you. Why? Because he loves you. Why does he do it? Deuteronomy says he does it because he loves you. Woo, their clothes didn't wear out. He's a good God. How many know he's a good God? How many know he's a provider? When no one else will, God will. You know why the Amorites and the Moabites didn't want to provide for the children of Israel? Because they were jealous. Why were they jealous? Because Israel had a father. Amorites and Moabites were born out of the ancestral relationship of Lot with his daughters. They never understood the principles of fatherhood. They never understood the principles of having a leader or to being yielded or submitted. So they were, they were just, they, they were jealous of Israel's relationship with God. They were jealous of Israel's relationship with God. So instead of turning to God, they wanted to curse the people of God. I want to tell you, God will provide for you in such a way it can even make men jealous of God's goodness on your life. Huh? Woo! Come on. How many of God's been so good to you, your testimony makes some jealous? Why? God is a jealous God. He's zealful for us. And the jealousness of God should provoke men to God, not push men away from God. 
I heard someone say recently of somebody that God had blessed their life in the course of a short time. God completely turned their life around, delivered them, saved them, brought them a family in just a short time. And all of their friends were just like, that's, they couldn't even believe all that God had did. And this one particular individual had one friend that said this. She said, man, I'm going to get saved because if God does it for you, my goodness, God can surely do it for me. How many know God is not a respecter of person this morning? God wants to bless you and bless your socks off. God wants to touch your life. He wants to be the center of who you are and the center of what God is doing. How many are glad you're blessed this morning? You have a heavenly father that you're not an orphan this morning. I'm not an orphan this morning. There were needs my heavenly father could not meet. As much as I love my dad, he was not a spiritual man. And as far as I know, he died not knowing the Lord. And I wake up every day with that on my mind. And I think sometimes, God, if you let me preach, I pray there will not be one father that leaves this earth not knowing Christ. When I said at his deathbed and he was dying, his brain was all mush and he had had an accident in a bar. Several strokes after stroke, and I'm sitting there, and I'm, I, I, I had an afternoon. I sat by his bed. I don't even know if he heard me. But I read scripture to him, and I shared Jesus with him. And I said, Dad, I don't know if you can hear me, and you may never respond, but if ever in your, in your position, if you hear me, would you please call out to God? And I read promise after promise after promise to him. He never woke up. But I remember when he was dying, I felt the known the pain that was in my heart, knowing that a man who really had a lot of dents in his life, a lot of dents in his life. 22 years old, he comes home from work one day, he goes into the kitchen where his younger siblings are there, and my grandfather, who worked for the Green Line bus line in, in Kentucky, was what well, came home. Passed the family at the dinner table, went straight to the bedroom and took his own life in his bedroom. And my dad had to find that. And I know all of his life that was a question about God. Because he would often reference, why would God allow? So I'll tell you why. Because we, are, we have a disease. We who are fathers are evil know how to give good things to our children, how much more does our heavenly father know how to give good gifts to his children? It was just a matter of knowing the heavenly father. His view of God was distorted because a dent in his life. We all have dents. We all have dents. Now I want to close with this this morning. This is interesting. I want to give you a reading test. <laughs> How many say, well, I can't read? Well, you're going to learn to read today. You may not be able to see it very well. I hope you can. But I want you to put that first photo up on the screen. The uh, Cambridge University in England did a study. 
And they did a study, a reading test on the power of the human mind. And this is, uh, and this is what came of their study. If you read that, it says the power of the human mind. Can you see that? Then it says, I couldn't believe that I could actually understand what I was reading. That's what that says. I couldn't believe I could actually understand what that was reading. How many of you could read that by looking at it? You can make out those words. And then look at this. Go to the next one. I don't know if you can see it really, really good, but I'll read it to you. According to a research at Cambridge University, it says it doesn't matter in what order the letters are in a word. The only important thing is that the first and last letter be in the right place. The rest can be in total mess, and you can still read without a problem. This is because the human mind does not read every letter by itself, but the word as a whole. You see that? Now, the first and the last letters are right, but everything in between is all messed up, but you can read it. Because the human mind is able to distinguish and read because the first two letters are in place. That's amazing to me. I mean, that looks like somebody speaking in tongues. The power of the human mind. What they said was that the first letter's in place and the last letter's in place, you can read everything in between. It doesn't matter what's in between. Guess what Jesus is described as in the Greek alphabet? The Bible says he is the alpha, which is the first letter of the Greek language. He is the omega, which is the last letter of the Greek language. He is the first and he is the last. And the good thing is if you get the first and the last right, He'll take care of the mess that's in between. Hallelujah. Come on. How many are thankful that you're a mess? You may have a mess. I said you may have a mess, but you got the first letter right and you got the last letter right. God will work and turn the curse into a blessing into your life as long as you got the alpha right and the omega right. Come on, y'all. Y'all got to thank God this morning. You have a great heavenly father. Woo! In other words, your life can be messed up and make sense. Stand with me this morning. You need to understand this morning, I want you to leave knowing that no matter how bad it gets, your heavenly father is still there. I want you to leave this morning knowing that when men withhold from you, your heavenly Father will provide for you. Woo! Hallelujah. Come on, he's the omega. He's the alpha. And everything in between, he's still in control. He's still working in my life. How many are thankful he's still working in my life? Woo! How many know that when my daddy, my natural daddy, there were needs he couldn't meet, God brought and provided for me in areas that I lacked. But he, oh, listen, every father needs to strive to be like God. But sometimes we fail. Every dad this morning, I don't want you to beat yourself up because you're not who you thought you would be. 
God's still working, but just get the Alpha and the Omega right. God will take care of the rest. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask you to step out of your seat and come down to this aisle. I want to pray for every dad. Every dad, step out of the aisle and come down here to here. I want to pray for every dad today. We just want a, a corporate prayer over you. Now, I want to tell you something. Let me just say this. Now, I'm not controversial. At least I don't try to be. But I want to tell you, the problems we have in America have nothing to do with political parties. I'm just telling you, the problem we have in America, listen, the race issues we have, you know what that is? That is, that is just, that is sin. That's what that is. The things we have, the problems we face in America is, is sin. But let me tell you what will turn it around. What will turn it around is good dads and good fathers. You say, well, I don't know if I believe it. I'll tell you, look at the book of Judges. What happened in the book of Judges? Every man did that with his right in his own eyes because there was no king in Israel. There were no fathers. There were no leaders. That's why people like Ehud had to step up. People like Deborah had to step up. People that with no names had to step up because there were no fathers. Deborah stepped in, went up to Barak and said, hey, the Spirit of the Lord came on me and told me that you were to lead the armies of Israel into battle. And Barak said, I'm not going to do it. I will only do it, Deborah, if you go with me. She said, well, you won't get the recognition and the blessing won't be on you if I go with you. Now, why did Barak do that? Because his father, Ammonon, was an idol worshiper. He did not worship the true God. He never understood the power of the God that he served because it never was modeled before him as a father. And so God had to raise up a woman to step into the situation and they go in the battle, they win the battle, and Deborah begins to write a song. And the song she begins to write, she tells of the children of Israel. She says, Naphtali, he just sat back. He didn't do anything. And all the children of Israel stood back. All of them weighed back. None of them had faith. None of them had strength. And the nation had four issues. They had idolatry issues. They had impurity issues. They had mixture, which means they were involved in things that God did not want them to be involved in. And they had leadership issues. They didn't have a father. See, that's what turns a nation crazy is when there's no fathers. I'm telling you right here today, I've got some dads in front of me. I've got some men right here. we got some men in this church. We thank God for our dads. We thank God for our men. We got some men in this church. I'm going to pray for you. Father, thank you for every one of these men, every one of these dads. Each of them play a vital role in our society. Each of them today can make a difference and change where they are. I pray the anointing of God would come on them to be even greater than what they are right now. I pray that they'll rise up and step up and step into the gap of what's missing in our nation and what's missing in our world. I pray that these men will become violent or, or, or valent and they will have a sword of the spirit in their hand, that they will be a men like Nehemiah had that had a brick in one hand to build and a sword in the other and a trial in the other. They found their place along the wall and began to fill the gap and serve where you wanted them to serve. 
I pray they'll raise their children with faith and strength. And they don't have to be perfect because they're not perfect. But they serve a God that is perfect this morning. And I pray that that anointing, that they'll be better men than they were yesterday. Better men tomorrow than they are today. Let them rise up and speak forth truth. When everybody else is silent, they will speak the truth when truth cannot be found. Thank you, God, so much for these men. Thank you for every man that's in this building that one day will be a father. Who will lead. I pray for their homes and their families and their marriages. I pray, God, that you will speak to them in tough times. And even in the dents of their life, you will turn the dents of their life so that they can go further and faster than they've ever been. I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. And all of God's men said, amen. Come on, give the Lord a great big clap offering this morning. How many are thankful for your heavenly father? How many are thankful for a great dad? How many are thankful for men of God? How many are thankful for your heavenly father? Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.